Welcome to Across the Street, your one-stop shop for all things inpatient medicine at the Durham VA, from faculty and staff who know it and love it just as much as you do. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Across the Street. Today, we're going to talk about something that's a little bit different than the clinical stuff that you're used to. We're going to kind of focus a little more on team dynamics in patient care, particularly the art form of patient presentations. With me today to discuss this super relevant and surprisingly nuanced issue is Dr. Lisa Crisioni-Schreiber. Welcome, Dr. Crisioni. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so for those of you who haven't gotten a chance to meet her yet, you'll most likely run into Dr. Crisioni either in the room clinic at the VA or on the consult service, maybe even on Gen Med soon. That said, at Duke, she is the Rheumatology Program Director as well as the new Vice Chair for Education in the Department of Medicine. She is passionate about mentoring trainees and junior faculty, particularly in the area, and I can speak from personal experience on this one, guiding trainees to find educational activities that help them meet their career goals. She's also passionate about the patient presentation, which is why she's been kind enough to agree to talk to me about it today. So let's just jump right in about that, if that's okay. And I feel like I should give the caveat, and tell me if you agree with this, Dr. Crisioni, that there's no exactly, no one right way to present a patient, right? There's not really a right way. The right way to present a patient is the way that the person you're presenting to wants to hear it. And so you kind of have to ask the person who you're going to present to, how do you want to hear the presentation? But I'll give tips as to like how I like to hear a presentation, which of course is the right way. Uh, <laughs> the only way. <laughs> it's the best way. Um, you know, other people might do it other ways. But, you know, so I think that I'll talk about some principles that apply across the board. Yeah, so there is a style element to this for sure. But the most important thing is knowing who you're communicating to. And that's true anytime you're trying to share information with someone else, whether it's a patient presentation or otherwise. So from the perspective of an attending, why is a good presentation important to you? So a good patient presentation is important to me, especially as an attending, because generally speaking, as an attending, we have more patients that we're responsible for. And so we probably aren't honestly diving into the entire chart and the medical history in the same way that the resident or medical student or fellow who's doing the presentation is. And so it's really important that we have an accurate presentation that includes all the information that the person listening to the presentation needs to be able to conduct really good medical decision making. And so we need all the elements that we have to have in order to consider a differential diagnosis, think about why certain things are or are not more likely to be the case, and then to be able to make a good decision about patient care. And hopefully with most of these presentations, the person you're presenting to will end up agreeing with you at the end. There also needs to be enough in the presentation to make your own decision. So there's kind of an art form to finding that perfect balance between giving too much information and not enough. Yes. Yeah. So how do you recommend that your trainees strike that balance? I guess the thing that I've always tried to teach people when they give presentations is present as though you're describing what happened to one of your colleagues after you've gone home from work. Because what presentations are is storytelling. So I think if the person giving the presentation reframes their orientation to say, I'm just going to pretend that this attending is my medical school roommate at home or my friend 
and I'm going to explain to them what happened and what I did and why I did it, then I think that makes it a lot easier because it lets you frame it as like, what's the information somebody needs to hear so that they can understand what was going on. So in patient presentations in the inpatient setting, it matters did this patient get admitted last night from the emergency department or are they transferred from the ICU or are we just doing follow-up or they transferred from another service? Like that matters. And then what I want to hear is why are they here? What are we doing right now? So to say this patient was admitted for shortness of breath that we believe is pneumonia. That's the opening sentence. Oh, I, I told, I could not agree with you more. You know, it's human nature to stop paying attention to someone after, I think, something like seven seconds. What I like to tell my learners is that if you only have seven seconds to summarize this entire patient, what words are you going to put into those seven seconds? And if that ICS and LABA that was prescribed five years ago doesn't have anything to do with their knee pain, now's not the time to mention it. You know, and so that kind of feeds a little bit into the difference between a strong patient presentation and a strong written H&P. What thoughts do you have about that? I think if someone is reading an H&P, you generally have more time to dive into it. And so you do want more information than what you're going to hear verbally. It goes with what you said about like, how long is someone's attention span? So you want to be pretty selective with what you include. And again, everything that you include when you're speaking about a case has to be relevant to the case at hand and to the presentation at hand. You know, if they're here for pneumonia, their family history of thyroid disease, that's not relevant to their pneumonia right now. So in the written presentation, you're gonna include more detail. It may be important, but perhaps not. Right, it's that perhaps not. And so having the information available to you in your H&P can be really useful if the attending has a follow-up question, say that maybe the yeah. Or the presenter didn't think about. So they have that information available to them, but they, you know, consciously chose to edit it out. And one thing that I will say for a new inpatient presentation on VA Gen Med, these are some complicated folks, you know, and they probably have a lot of comorbidities. And if they come in with something like chest pain, there probably are several past medical history pieces that are relevant, you know, not even past current medical history. You know, they've got coronary disease, they have atrial fibrillation, you know, there's a lot of things that could potentially be causing their chest pain. And as a person who's hearing the story, I want to know that relevant stuff. But you're right, the family history of thyroid cancer may or may not be related. And so what my learners choose to put in that first sentence tells me a lot about what they think is going on. Exactly. How about this, Dr. Crisioni? Where do you like to hear your patient presentations? I like to hear them at bedside as much as possible, both in the inpatient and the outpatient setting, actually. I just find it's much more efficient, and I think it helps people to do more efficient presentations in the inpatient setting when they're at the bedside because they recognize that the patient is listening and the patient wants to hear what do they think is going on with me and what are they going to do for me. And so it really helps to focus the presentation on the patient and on helping the patient to understand how did the team think through the problem and get to these conclusions. It actually, I think, gives often a better patient presentation. I totally agree. And, you know, the world being what it is right now, how, if at all, has COVID changed your practice? Oh, well, I mean, it's, we're not doing as much in the way of bedside presentations now. And, you know, I think that there's always situations where you don't do bedside presentations. And a lot of it is like, 
if the patient's on isolation for TB, then we're not going to go in and do a bedside presentation. So it's kind of the same thing. Like if we're worried our patient has COVID, we're not likely to do a bedside presentation. You know, we're trying to have as few people in a room as possible. So it's, it's a little bit different, but I, I still think that generally speaking, when we're able to, that presenting at the bedside is both the most efficient and the most effective. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it, it kind of comes down to the comfort level and of the people in the room at the time and your suspicion for what's going on with a given patient. Obviously, if someone has COVID or is a PUI on the floors, bedside presentations are off the table. But if someone is admitted for something unrelated, I always kind of, we make a game time decision whether or not we should go to the bedside. Usually, yeah. the story, not at the bedside, but if possible, we bring some team member to the bedside together. Because personally, I think that's good for the patient also to see everybody on their team all together at the same time, at least once. I totally agree with that. And that's very daunting. And usually after they do it a couple times, they realize that it helps with the doctor-patient relationship and with building trust and with creating a team-like atmosphere. Because as you said, the patient sees, oh, this is the team of providers who are taking care of me. And there's this many people who've heard my story and know what's going on and they're all thinking about me. I think it says a lot to the patients when we do it. I totally agree. And in your experience, how do presentations change as learners move through their training? Like what's the difference between an intern presentation and a JAR presentation and a SAR presentation? And what should our earlier trainees be striving for to make it to that next step? Yeah, well, I think that people do get much more focused as they progress in their training. And that's just based on experience. And it's totally understandable. Like I don't expect an intern presentation to be the same as a senior resident in the second half of their year presentation because they just have so much more experience and so they are really able to hone down and figure out what are the exact relevant things. Whereas someone at the beginning of internship, if you have never seen a patient with new onset GPA, granulomatosis with polyangiitis, for example, and that's in your differential diagnosis, you know, I don't expect you to know all the exact things that are relevant. And the other thing is they might tell you that this patient's white count is 11.3 with 72.4% neutrophils. Whereas by the end of training, your SAR is going to say, oh, and they had an elevated white count with a left shift, right? Because they know that the only thing we really need to know is their white count was elevated. And then if we're differentiating between pneumonia and CLL, they might say, oh, their white count was 50,000 as opposed to their white count was 20,000 because that makes a difference. I totally agree with you. The editing is really the difference. And also the senior residents' abilities to include pertinent positives and negatives. It's almost right. like kind of anticipate what questions I'm going to ask. You know, as they're pitching a story, they can kind of, because they have the same thought process as me, they can tell what my concerns still are based on their stories. And so they'll give some additional information to make me more comfortable. Okay, this chest pain, yeah, it, it was pleuritic, but they're already on blood thinners and they did a VQ scan in the emergency room. So I don't think that that was something that I was gonna want them to take off the table. And so they give me those pertinent negatives before I even have to ask for them. Yeah, yeah it's, it's just as people progress through their learning and, and based on their experience that what they offer changes. Yeah, I mean, as someone who's been in attending for a while, I'm still working on the right way to present to my colleagues, you know, because sign out is not something that goes away. And really patient presentations, even with your attending, is just a form of sign out. Right, exactly. 
So Dr. Cristiani, what are some of the common pitfalls that you see residents and interns falling victim to when they're presenting? I think one of the most common ones is using too many abbreviations. Ooh. Yeah, because there are different abbreviations in different specialties and it just gets people hung up. So, you know, everybody talks about HEFPEF and HEFREF now, right? Mm -hmm. But not every, you know, like I may attend on general medicine, but I am a rheumatologist. So if I start talking to you and I start talking about DMARDs and DMARD this and DMARD that and RA and, and SPA and ACSPA and psoriatic, like you may not know what I'm talking about. And so residents don't realize that they pick up this jargon that they totally understand, but maybe a lot of other people don't understand. And the risk with that is that you can be misunderstood. If you use an abbreviation that seems totally reasonable to you, maybe that abbreviation stands for something else in a different specialty. Or maybe you're presenting to someone who can't remember what that abbreviation is because they don't deal with that every day. And so instead of listening to what you're saying, they're thinking, what does that mean again? Um, and then you've totally lost like 25 seconds of the presentation. So it's usually easier to just say the words rather than giving the abbreviation. Presenting is basically a form of public speaking. And there are people who would choose to be, to fight a lion before they were to speak in front of a large group of people because it's that naturally terrifying. So what advice would you give to learners who are just having trouble with the jitters? To get over the jitters, I think really it's just think about how you would tell this story to your roommate. Just pretend you're talking to your roommate or somebody else who you're very comfortable with. Trust that the person you're talking to is on the same team, right? The reason you're presenting is because you're working together to take care of a patient. And so you both have the same goal. Like you both wanna take excellent care of the patient. And so if you come at it from that point of view, it doesn't matter if you're attending is, or if you're presenting to a resident, maybe you're presenting to a medical student because you're explaining what's happening with the patient that they are going to take over, or maybe you're presenting to the chief of the medicine service. It's really all the same because you're all trying to take good care of the patients. And so just come, try to come at it that way of we're on the same team, we all want the same outcome. I, I could not have said it better. And, you know, occasionally rehearsing makes a difference. If yeah. the first time that you're telling the story is in front of the attending and the patient and the day float, then that can potentially be a little bit more anxiety provoking. But if you've got time overnight on your call night, you know, just run through it once with just like, just like you said, Dr. Crisiona, your medical student or something, just somebody who's really non-threatening and just wants to learn, who can learn from what you're telling them and, you know, give you some pointers. Right. And, and I think you can also, if you really want to, you can rehearse it on your own. And I am a person who I rehearse what I'm going to say all the time, like before meetings, if I'm thinking about it, it's, it's just a very similar thing. I'll think through, what am I going to say? I might write down my outline. I might practice saying it. You say it in front of the mirror. You maybe, I dictate notes to myself all the time on my phone, especially if I'm rehearsing that I want something that's important that I'm going to need to talk about then I'll just rehearse it by notes. And so that could be something a medical student or a resident could do is just dictate it into your phone. 
say it a few times. If there's something you're not sure how to explain, try explaining it and then play it to yourself and see if it makes any sense. That's a great idea. Any final thoughts, Dr. Crisioni, on the patient presentation? Something I wanted to make sure to include that is so important in a presentation, especially in a bedside presentation, and that is a real social history. What is so important is where does this patient live? Who lives with this patient? What's important to them? What do they like to do for fun? What are their challenges in managing their own health care? You know, it doesn't matter what I do if as soon as a patient leaves the hospital, they have either no transportation or no way to get their medicines. One of my lessons in this was uh, way back when I was a resident and I did a rotation on the Indian Health Service. And I learned that we had to keep a patient in the hospital to do dressing changes for a very simple foot ulcer because they didn't have access to running water at home. Wow. You've got to know about these things. So you've got to know, like if you're trying to work on someone's nutrition, but they don't have anybody to go to the store for them and they can't afford what they need. These are important things to know. And you have to know who is their support and who's going to help them. And, you know, it's just really important when you're taking care of somebody to know what they like to do. You know, do you like to read for fun? Do you like to garden? And then you can find that the other thing is you can, you can find commonalities with people that way. And then you start off every interaction with them talking about that. And then you go from there into what is their medical condition. And I think that contributes a lot to people feeling better because someone is going to feel better if you come in their room every day and say, hey, you know, I read about the Durham Bulls last night and how they're doing, that's going to create an instant bond. And then you can talk about, let's talk about how we're going to get you doing better today, as opposed to just not knowing anything about your patient and just focusing on them as a medical problem, as opposed to a person who has a medical problem. That's so true. And so can I ask, do you like to hear those kinds of details in a new patient presentation? I do. Where would you recommend that the learner or the presenter put that information? Should that be in its own separate section, the social history, or would you actually put that in the HPI? I would put it right after, why are they here? So this is a 75-year-old veteran who we admitted last night for multilobar pneumonia and hypoxia. He lives in Durham with his wife. He's retired from the Army. He enjoys reading adventure books and he likes to garden, and he has four grandchildren. I have to say again, that is a style thing. There's not only one correct way to do this, but I could not agree with you anymore. After that one-liner, I want to know what my patient's baseline is, and that's so pertinent in our population in particular because the veterans are a little bit older than the average population. Like we said at the beginning of this, they're a little bit sicker. Yep. They have more comorbidities, and so I want to know what they look like when they're at their best because that's what I'm trying to get them back to. Yeah, exactly. And if you know a little bit more about who they live with, and you know, if you know that this guy has four grandchildren and he's 75, you can ask, how old are they? How often do you see them? Maybe what he, you know, maybe they're the people that are taking care of him. I could give all kinds of examples of things that I've learned about my patients that are so amazing. And it also, as a physician, gives you such appreciation for the resilience and the uniqueness and the specialness of all the people around us. Absolutely. And I couldn't emphasize that more, particularly in our patient population at the Durham VA. The veteran social history should always include service history. Yeah. Were they in combat? What did they do when they were deployed? Those kinds of things 
are relevant to their health and also relevant to who they are as people and how they got connected to our healthcare system in particular. Oh, absolutely. I, that's one of the first things. It's, it's one of the first things I ask them about now when I'm meeting a veteran. It's not something that I knew to do when I was in training. It's really, it's something that I've picked up because I've worked at the VA since whatever, 1994, when I was a medical student working at the VA. So over time I've learned this, but you add, you know, to learn the terminology, right? You have to know to ask them, when did you separate from the military and what branch were you in? And, you know, and then for me as a rheumatologist, like there's aspects that we always ask about because I've heard this over and over again, like about basic training, you know, how many sprains did you have? How many fractures? Like how many times did you sprain your ankle? How many times did you fall? If you were a paratrooper, what did you break during that? How many times did you injure your back? How many jumps did you have? They know, they can tell you exactly how many jumps they did. That stuff is really important. Let me just take this opportunity again to thank you, Dr. Crisioni, for taking the time to talk with me today about this subject and this skill, really, this art form that we all use every single day that doesn't always come naturally and takes a little bit of intention and a little bit of practice to get really good at. Thank you for your time and your thoughts. You are so welcome. Thank you, Dr. Caputo, for inviting me. It's just such an honor to be part of this with you. And as always, the views and opinions expressed today are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Durham VA or the Veterans Health Administration.